I do want to remind everybody, because we have people here that weren't here last week, that dinner, Saturday night, 5 o'clock up here, starting up. There's a list downstairs for helpers, and I see quite a few names on there. But keep sharing it. Keep sharing it on Facebook. We want as many people as we can get in the community so we can, you know, love on them for loving on us. The title to this morning's message is Seek Ye First. Seek Ye First. Last week we were reminded that God promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13.5. We ask the same, we ask the question, can we say the same thing to him when we're faced with life's challenges? Do we turn to Christ or do we run away from Christ when we experience sickness and death of loved ones? When we can't seem to make ends meet financially? When we have marital problems? drug or alcohol problems, when we wake up to an empty house, lonely and depressed, or when we feel like suicide is the only answer? Do we turn away from what can truly heal us, or do we reach for the very things that can hurt us, such as drugs or alcohol, anger or vengeance? Do we call out to the great physician, or do we take matters into our own hands? and follow the world's example. Jesus promises us an abundant life in John 10.10. He said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But abundant life doesn't consist of an abundance of material. If it did, I'm assuming Jesus Christ would have been the most wealthiest man on earth. No, abundance here means a spiritual abundance. Abundant life is eternal life. A life that begins the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and will continue through eternity. Abundant life is a continual process of learning, practicing, and maturing spiritually. But unfortunately, it still includes failing, recovering, Adjusting and overcoming the world, overcoming the challenges that we face. It consists of a life that's eternal, and because of that, that's where our focus should be, on the eternal, not the temporal things in the world. Abundant life is not in any way the guarantee of an easy life. Many of us in here this morning can attest to that. In Colossians 3, Two through three, Paul admonishes us to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. True, abundant life consists of an abundance of the fruits of the Spirit, not an abundance of the physical stuff. Galatians 5, through 23 tells us what that, those fruits are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we know Satan tries to steal our joy. Satan tries to rob us of our health. He tries to kill our relationships and destroy our faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. But Jesus came so we may have life in him that's meaningful, purposeful, Joyful and eternal. 
And as I said, that abundant life starts the moment we accept him as our Lord and Savior. That is, as long as we see him and recognize him for who he is. Like I said last week, we can't simply see Jesus as a miracle worker, like some of the Jews did, or a food man, or even a man who heals. He does all those things, of course, but we're called to see him for much more than that. We're called to respond the same way that Peter did in John 6, 68 through 69. Peter told Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That should be our response. The problem is, sometimes we're too busy seeking happiness and wealth and status and love and good health. You know, all those, those things in the world. But the world has lost its priority. And sadly, so have many Christians. The world will convince people to focus on themselves at a level I've never seen before. They teach people that it's okay to rave and push back, sometimes violently, against anyone who refuses to use the correct pronoun or recognize them as a furry or declare their birth gender as their true sex. The Bible reminds Christians that we're set apart from the world. And we're to set our minds on things above. Rick texted me the other day with a great question on the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He asked, why was Jesus powerless to perform any miracles in Nazareth, his hometown? Scripture reads, he went away from there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and Many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And the Bible says they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. <clears throat> now, many people tend to believe that the people weren't healed because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. But that's not true. That last statement, and he marveled because of their unbelief, is separate from the rest of the scripture. Jesus healed many people throughout the Bible who had no faith, who didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't know anything about healing, yet Jesus healed them. He drove out demons from people who didn't honestly have a clue what was going on, let alone have faith in healing. No, they were healed because of Jesus' faith. Not because of theirs. The reason he could do no mighty work there, meaning Nazareth, was because the people didn't bring other people to him. They didn't bring the sick like they did in other cities and villages and towns. They didn't even bother to bring him. 
And the reason they didn't bring him for healing was because they didn't see Jesus for who he was. Follow me? They saw him as a young man who grew up there with his family. Is this not the son of? Is this not the brother of? That's how they saw Jesus, right? Last week we talked about that's not how we're called to see Jesus. They failed to gaze at him with wide open eyes as someone remarkable. They didn't discern, acknowledge, or take heed of him as the Greek word see is defined. They literally saw him as a neighbor, more like a casual sight or observance. Do you see how that all ties together from last week? With that word see, they just weren't seeing Christ for who he was. Their problem is the same problem we have in the world today. People fail to see and acknowledge who Jesus Christ truly is. And it all comes back full circle. The world is too busy with satisfying their flesh instead of satisfying their spirit. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the problem can be summed up in one simple statement. They fail to see Jesus because they aren't even making an attempt or an effort to seek him for his kingdom. Last week we discovered the definition of the word see in certain passages goes far deeper than our understanding. We talked about it in, in Bible study Saturday. That, you know, we casually see a word, like we used see last week. We, we look at that and we just, based on our knowledge, we just press on. But when we break it down and see in Scripture, there is a specific reason that they put that word see in there. And people are failing to see Jesus. And they're failing to seek him. By the way, that's why I always suggest using a commentary or a concordance when you're studying the Bible. We can do a casual reading of the Bible. I explained this Saturday too because I don't think we should always be in the Bible digging, 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 digging. You know, like my mother had four different types of Bibles. One was a message. And she just, the message, you just read through it. It's like a regular conversation if you've ever done. You wouldn't do a study dive on that uh, Bible. Follow me? So sometimes it's good just to read it, get it in. But there's other times, man, you just get so hungry that you want to get into studying. When you get into that mode, you should use a commentary and a concordance. Because the problem is it's very easy to overlook the deeper meaning of words in Scripture. Hopefully last week we all learned the significance of the Greek definition versus ours. Now that being said, this week I want to take another word that Christ uses and define its deeper meaning. That word is seek. Seek. Merriam-Webster defines seek is to go in search of, look for, try to discover, try to acquire, or gain. Go in search of, look for, try to discover, try to acquire, or gain. So let's go to that verse we just shared, Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So now the Greek definition is a little more active and a little more passionate. The Greek definition, definition is to search or strive after diligently, to covet earnestly, to investigate, crave, demand, and to hunt eagerly. That's quite a bit of difference between Miriam, is it not? So when we see the word seek, crave now is in my head every time. 
We're not just seeking, man. We're craving. We're craving. When I think about that word, I'm not merely trying to search for something. I'm not trying to discover something. Crave is something that comes from deep within. And I think about that woman in the Bible who, who bled for 12 years. She craved healing, did she not? It wasn't passive. That, that woman bled for 12 years. She craved healing above anything else. We read about her condition in Mark 25 through 26. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So for 12 years. Now, Levitical law prohibited her from entering the temple or to come in contact with any human being. 12 years. Imagine, no visitors for 12 years because she was labeled unclean. She was alone. She was isolated, abandoned, rejected, and considered an outcast. She was broken, defiled, and destitute. So when we look at our modern definition of seek, it just doesn't do justice to her wanting to be healed. Right? Did she simply go in search of, look for, try to discover, try to acquire, gain healing? After 12 years of being in isolation, did she just passively go look for that healing? Or did she search and strive after that healing diligently? Did she covet that healing earnestly? Did she investigate and crave healing? You see the difference? We look at the word seek and we just put into what we know. Eh, we're seeking something, we're looking for something. That's not what the Bible's telling us. It's telling to crave. That poor woman was craving healing and she was doing, willing to do anything to achieve it. We see how brave she was in verses 27 through 29. Bible reads, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now let's pause for a second because I want you to understand the significance of her actions here. She was considered unclean. She was considered an outcast. She was forbidden to come in contact with any other person. And yet because she craved, not seeked, she wasn't seeking, she craved healing, and because of that, she literally risked her life. They could have stoned her. She risked her life. She went out in public. She weaved through the crowds and made contact with Jesus' garment. Much like the word see, seek is an active verb in Scripture. We can't passively seek the kingdom of God. We must crave it the way she craved that healing. And, of course, we know she was rewarded for her boldness and faith. We read verses 30 through 34. It says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? The disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who'd done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear 
and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, obviously, this is an incredible story on faith, and I've preached it on faith before, right? How, how much faith she had in Jesus, that, that all she'd had to do was touch the garment. We've even done that prayer before, where Christ, we're touching your garment right now, because we have that faith. It is an incredible story on faith, but it also shows just how much we're called to crave the kingdom of God, to hunger for, to go out and hunt it actively. We're called to crave first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all those things will be added to you. Did you see the difference? Can you see the difference between the two? Matthew 7, 7 to 8 promises us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We're not called to be passive in Scripture. When it comes to our salvation, we must be active. We're promised, seek and you will find. Well, what are we seeking? Seek and you will find. We're seeking, we're craving God and His kingdom. We're craving the very one who went to the cross so that we didn't have to. We're called to seek, but we're going to substitute the word crave throughout the Bible. Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek or crave the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 105.4, crave the Lord in his strength, crave his presence continually. Psalm 119.2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who crave him with their whole heart. One more, Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me, and those who crave me diligently Find me. Whoo! We got some work to do. Yesterday I accepted the Lord. That's not, a, that's not how I see it happen. There's liquid coming out of the nose. People come to the Lord. Right? It, it, it's passionate, is it not? That personal relationship. Craving is a matter of paying attention with an active mind. It's putting God's plan before our own. It's craving God's righteousness, putting his priority on our lives, desiring to be holy because he is holy. That woman who bled for 12 years craved healing. Now, if you can't relate to her, you can relate perhaps to one of the beautiful testimonies we witnessed right here in our little church. Remember the testimony of one of our women who was addicted to drugs and cried out on the floor of her bathroom, begging Jesus for healing. She didn't seek healing in the Merriam-Webster definition. She didn't go in search of, look for, try to discover, or to acquire or gain freedom from her addiction. She, if you heard the story, she craved healing and release from her addiction. Amen? There was, no, there was nothing passive. If you saw her, she was screaming, Jesus! I mean, it was active. It was, she was craving it. Like the woman in the parable, our friend searched, strived after diligently, coveted earnestly, investigated, and craved that healing. Craved freedom from her addiction. There's the difference between craving and seeking in our Merriam-Webster definition. That's a big difference. 
We will never experience salvation passively. We must first crave Jesus. We must crave Jesus. Then we must see him for who he is. As someone remarkable enough to sacrifice his life on a cross for our sins. Last week, Alan sent me a beautiful video of Billy Graham, who's my hero. And Billy Graham in that video reminded us that Christ died for everyone. The whole world. Christ died for the whole world, no matter what language we speak, regardless of skin color, regardless of sexual preference, regardless of how much money we have. Everyone means everyone. Amen? Christ died for all of us. But until we crave Him, until we see Him for who He is, there won't be a difference in our lives. And there won't be a difference in our eternity. That word makes a difference when you read it the way it's intended. My prayer this week is that we, our families, our friends, and our communities truly start to crave Jesus and then see him as our Savior and then repent of sins and then receive him into our lives as Lord and Savior. But that's next week's message. Join us next week. We're going to we're going to talk about the importance of receiving Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, lift our eyes to seek you first today. Help us to surrender our need to achieve, understand, and be known. Shift our perspective to seek your peace above all else. Let the Holy Spirit translate your commands in every situation in our daily lives. Give us renewed strength and godly courage to obey you without questioning. Forgive us for striving beyond our means, worrying and forcing results. As we rise to meet each new day, let us be filled with your spirit. Wherever we go, let us spread love, joy, peace, goodness, and faithfulness. Let us desire to become more like you and to worship you in all we do. Help us desire these things so much more than the sin that calls to us. We thank you for always going before us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
<laughs> Next week, you're actually going to hear a pretty cool testimony about these three by five cars. And every time I start wondering if people are getting bored about it and you know wondering if we should stop it and do something else, another testimony pops out. So you're going to hear it next week from somebody. And uh, all you can do is praise God and thank Him for His work. Um, so let's do let's do three of these today. And you're more than welcome to make more up. If you pray with me, Father God. Oh. Father, we feel the Holy Spirit here today. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for spending this time with us today. We ask you to uh, anoint these cards, these three-by-five cards, Father God. We thank you for the testimonies. We we thank you for the work that your word is doing in the community, Lord. Without having to hand people a Bible, we can just hand them a three-by-five card, Father God. How much easier can you make it for us to spread your good news? So we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. One more song and then benediction. <laughs> Beloved disciples, go forth today in the assurance that whether you answer the first time, the second time, or the hundredth time, God never stops calling. 
God never stops guiding and God never stops forming you because God's love never fails. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Until we meet again, God bless you all. Please stay safe, stay in his word, and stay connected to the well. God bless you all.